Sometimes I get uncomfortable when people are telling me that I have to live certain liturgical living traditions. What because, does that mean? What is that? Yeah. Right. So, you got an you know, example? Um, the way Mardi Gras celebrated, for example. Okay. All right. So, or the way certain traditions or foods that you might eat on a particular saint oh. day. Oh, you got to have like corned beef for St. Patrick's Day or right, whatever. And, right. Yeah. So th- there's an industry out there, mm-hmm. right, of especially apparently on social media that is oriented toward reclaiming some of these traditions. So I'm, I was trying to wrestle with like, why does this make me feel uncomfortable? I like traditions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I love them. I love Catholic traditions. But what I'm getting toward is in my kind of processing of this and my self-reflection is that there's certain traditions that don't come out of the lived experience of the faith. So I'm Italian American. So the ones I gravitate toward are in there. Everything else seems false. Like Mardi Gras is hard for me to enter into Mm -hmm. because I'm not from New Orleans. Yeah. I'm not from Cajun Mm -hmm. culture. So this got me thinking too, like are Catholics so removed from traditions? And I don't want to blame it on anything in particular. I actually think it's a complicated set of factors that have done this. Mm-hmm. Are we so removed? What is worth going back and reclaiming? And what has to be emerged as a tradition out of a new... But it's a, not what but we're going more, back to, but something coming out of us. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this is a great question. I think, you know, just to put these on the side for the moment, one a creeping concern is commercialization. Yeah. You don't want to feed into that. Yeah. Another creeping concern might just be you don't like being told what to do. Right. In it, terms of this thing that's being foisted. Yeah. So there, there's a little bit of that in me. Yeah. Um, but this, it, maybe I'm a millennial. I don't like to do anything that doesn't feel authentic. Yeah. But there's something about like, yeah, it's not in my experience to celebrate Mardi Gras the way the Cajuns do. Mm-hmm. But it is in my experience to celebrate Saint jo- the Feast of St. Joseph the way Italian-Americans have. Yeah. I don't know if that makes that distinction. No, it does. So sense. Yeah. we celebrate St. Lucy's Day. Because mm-hmm. we have a daughter named Lucy, and we're not Swedish. Right. But I think whenever there's a connection, there's a reason. Part of it, I think, is that we're Americans. Mm-hmm. And so this is how we do things. Yeah. We pick stuff up. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I think for that reason. Melting pot. I like to say, yeah. So what comes from uh, the Americas? Chocolate, sugar, <laughs> tomatoes. like Hamburgers. So when I eat. Tobacco. Yeah. Refined sugars and carbs. I'm just being an American <laughs> authentically. Right? That's just our, our ecosystem here. Listening to 10,000 Places. My name is Alex Giltner. I'm Justin Aquila. I'm Lewis Pearson. But no, I get what you mean. Mm-hmm. So I think, in some sense, the things that grow out of us are things that we just pick up. And that's not inauthentic because that's how the United States has worked mm-hmm. culturally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in my experience, it's always been a thing like St. Lucy's Day or, or something like that. We, we really love. Juan Diego, Guadalupe, yes. yeah. uh, because of personal experiences yes. that we've had, yes. not because we're Mexican. Right. But Something will come along like, oh, you're supposed to, you, you are, yeah. <laughs> like eat corned beef or drink green beers. Like, why? Right. And we actually have Irish blood in, on both sides of our family, but why? Like, what is this about? And yeah. so I, I rankle against some of these things too. I don't know if, because they're inauthentic is the right word, but mm-hmm. it's in the right neighborhood for me. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, what are you thinking? I feel actually a little bit on the, and I think this actually might be a good add to the conversation. It's interesting to me. I didn't grow up Catholic. Right. So all of these things are now we did have since my mom's side of the family is Polish Catholic. And so there were things that happened that I 
would relate to Catholicism. And so like I knew the mealtime prayer mm-hmm. because that's what you prayed at my grandma's house. Right. When you were eating food there, you prayed, you know, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. And so I, I didn't have to learn that prayer. I just always known it. On St. Patty's Day, my grandma made corned beef and cabbage. We'd have it on rye bread and you dip it in. It was so good. But it wasn't a Catholic celebration mm-hmm. to me. I knew about Lent and I tried it once and thought, this is stupid. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, 14 or 15. And I remember like saying like, I don't want to do this anymore. And my grandma saying, well, it's just man-made. It's made up. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to get drink soda more again. <laughs> so like these things, I was never enculturated into any kind of Catholic tradition. Yeah. There were people around me who did that as I was growing up, but I didn't really ever latch on to anything. And so a lot of these, it's interesting to me because if I could speak for a moment that in kind of the my dual experience of being in convert Catholic mm-hmm. is as a Catholic theologian who has, you know, a PhD in historical theology and teaches theology, I know more than most Catholics. I don't think I say this with hubris. No. I know more than most Catholics about Catholic theology. Yeah. I continually feel stupid mm. when I'm not, I don't know like the traditions. water. Yeah. Even like, I feel like I ought to know them. Like uh. we sang for our Mardi Gras mass. We sang the, it's one of the songs that everybody knows the words to. And I don't know all the words. Uh. And it's like, Tantum. Tantum ergo. Tantum ergo. Mm. Everybody starts singing that in Latin. Mm. And I have this experience where I'm looking at, the Latin and I'm looking at the English and probably I'm likely one of the few who know that that's a really bad translation of Uh that Latin (laughs) poem, Uh but I couldn't sing it. Right. I don't know the words because I didn't grow up hearing that, you know, and that's not every Catholic's experience, but like, so early on in our relationship, Lewis and Justin, when you, we were all first getting to know each other because Justin and and I had just first moved here. And this is before we had a podcast. Long before we had a podcast. 10,000 places. (laughs) 10,000 places. We're about to learn what happened before we had a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) We were friends. What's the flashback? So we did, we had a night where you guys came over. That's right. Made some chili and we prayed the rosary. Yep. And. For the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Oh, I remember this. It was Guadalupe. Yeah. And, and so. Being the Catholic that I am, not knowing things, I prayed the doxology at the end of the Our Father every time. Yeah. And later on, Justin looked at me with a twinkle in his eye and said, I love the way you Catholic. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, well, you said the doxology. And, uh, you know, I never, I never heard anybody do that. And, like, this was not Justin's intent. He totally was, I think, appreciating the yes. freshness to which I was bringing the rosary experience. Yeah. But to me, I felt kind of dumb <laughs> because it's, and it's again, not your yeah, fault, but yeah. it, I felt like, Oh, I, I did it wrong. Yeah. And I, I still, I mean, I've been Catholic now for 10 years. I was received in 2012, Easter 2012. Mm-hmm. So coming up yeah, on my 10 year yeah. anniversary. And I still feel like I'm constantly finding ways in which I didn't grow up Catholic yeah. and mm-hmm. don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah. There's things that play. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows it, mm-hmm. like you're saying. Everyone starts saying the the, the mm-hmm. song or whatever. I sometimes worry though that we're cosplaying. Yes. Right? When I, when I find yes. an old tradition, like if we're that's LARPing, one of your worries, yeah. yeah. Right. That that's the inauthenticity that you're referring yes. to. That's yes. I, I do worry about that. It's like, well, someone in our tradition did this, right? And we're gonna just hodgepodge pick up these pieces that we like in our family. So it's not just yeah. a millennial concern because you're definitely an Xer. 
Gen Xer, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're definitely Gen. X. Yeah, I'm a cooler generation. <laughs> I'm a, a cooler uh, name. I'm a you're liminal. Bridging. I, yeah, I'm bridge. Yeah. yeah so. Well, they keep changing it. I, I remember yeah. every time they say when Gen X begins or ends and millennials begin or end, they've changed it like 20 years. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I think right now the the general consensus is sometime between 80 and what 80 or sometime 80, between like 78 yeah. and how, 80. Kind of how much 84. of the how we, millennials in some ways are liminal, literally because we live part of our childhood without internet access right. and part with. That's one of the ways I think about the generational. Yeah. But there is an authenticity to just taking on. Mm-hmm. So since you bring up Guadalupe. Wait, can I just make a quick comment? Like you actually helped me distinguish a little bit real quick. I don't mm-hmm. want to lose your point, but um, so I'll make this. It quick. might not be but, that important. Yeah. So you, you talked about enculturating the faith and the descriptions you gave are all things like, ah, yeah, I, I've been enculturated in those things in a way that you haven't, the the, the Marigo, the mm-hmm. way you say the rosary, things like that. But on the other hand, there's these other traditions that are sometimes associated with European and American cultures. And of course, the problem has become is European and American cultures have ceased to be Catholic. Mm. And I would argue that the European cultures have have sort of rebelled against it, against Catholicism predominantly not to say there aren't Catholics in European countries, but, um, but, <laughs> but and, are and, there, and, and then, are and, there. Right. <laughs> and in America, I'd argue it's, it's actually intentionally designed to be this way. I think well, cause they, you that. pointed this out to me that like the Catholic parish was the bunker of culture that was both Catholic and national. Right. For right. so long in the right. American experience. Especially that, on the East Coast. Right. right. So you can't, especially, right. So and by you national, you mean the immigrant communities coming Right. right. So yeah. you can't right. divorce your Irishness from your Catholicism. And this is actually, so my, my grandfather, who is Polish Catholic, mm-hmm. for him, they were mixed together. They weren't distinct experiences. And I think that's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. And so when you just, in some ways, when you destroy the Polishness, when you become American, if there's no discipleship, no lived relationship with Jesus, the Catholicism is going to fade. Mm. We actually know this because we've done the the studies with more recent immigrant groups, Vietnamese, Latino from Latin America. When the language goes, oh, for pretty, sure, pretty much the subsequent generations are going to lose the faith. That's very interesting. Um, and now that's a problem because that means they're not bringing in a a lived discipleship relationship from their cultures right. into the United States. So there there was probably a a pre existing problem, and I, I don't say that just about. Vietnamese and Hispanic, I would say that about Italians and Irish. And, I'd say it about America. And so, uh, yes. Right. Yeah. This yeah. Is, there's this way yeah. in which, like, the melting pot myth, which there is some truth to, is also a very kind way to cover up a lot of horrific fighting and violence between the differing immigrant communities of American history, right? Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about in a previous episode, this also included just being Catholic, in a very Protestant country. You know that movie Gangs in New York? Yeah. It's not, I don't care for the movie. It's it, it's, it's Scorsese being a little bit too, like, self-indulgent. He, like, it's, <laughs> I don't like when someone's making an epic and, like, in every scene I feel like, see how this is an epic, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but that initial scene between the Irish Catholic gang yeah. and the Protestant yeah. New Yorker gang yep. and... They're saying like, you know, like the the line I always think of is when the guy says like, I'll destroy your popery. And the other one says, and you shall meet the true Lord. (laughs) And and it's Liam Neeson. So it's it's awesome. And Daniel Day Lewis. But like their, their Catholicism and Protestantism had nothing to do with Jesus. No, (laughs) 
Nothing no. whatsoever. No. It had everything to do with they hated each other. Yep. And this was one way that they could clarify. I mean, these people mm-hmm. all like lived profligate lives. There right. was nothing about the gospel. Right. It's everything to do with their social cultural identity. Yep. Yep. Right. And, yep. and it, in this case, the Catholics generally did not win out. Right. Yeah. They and survived in the bunkers. They of survived. The and yeah. then, and then a much less aggressive, Big L liberalism, so enlightenment right. kind of mindset. Classical liberalism. Classical liberalism. That also became embodied in the progressive movement. Absolutely. Was a m- way more fatal than the antagonism. Because it was it was it was not destroy you, it was come assimilate. Yep. Yeah. Come be more like us. And so there's a show, like in a previous episode we talked about discipleship, that we have people who in some sense had been formed as Catholics in a specific cultural milieu, but since Jesus was no longer present, they didn't even recognize in themselves a kind of formation they had had right. in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the image of Christ. Right. It, yeah. it, it, they can't distinguish it from their ethnic heritage yeah. or— because, Or see how Jesus was the reason their ethnic heritage had this particular— Yeah, right? Because yeah. it's not bad to have these ethnic traditions that, no, that we're right. talking about, and they can be very, very meaningful right. and powerful— they do have to be baptized. Maybe, maybe this is what we're getting at. They almost have to be rebaptized in mm, these traditions, yeah. right? Because they grew up as an expression of the Catholic culture too. But then, I mean, Santa Claus is the big yeah, like yeah. thing here, right? Like, yeah. Give Valentine's- your thing about Santa. Give your thing about Christmas and the Protestants. Uh, which one? The one where you talk about they couldn't do Christmas, so they mm. had to do like the Saint Nick's Day stuff. You gave it on the Advent. I think it was Kyle Hyman show. Yeah. I've said so many things about Christmas. I'm not remembering exactly <laughs> what you want to say, but I, I remember what you're saying. And I remember that talk. Like how Santa Claus became this central image of Christmas yeah. was because the, and, and I might be getting this history wrong because I'm doing it from memory from a talk that you don't even remember <laughs> or that you remember as an abstraction. <laughs> it gets funny just as a really quick aside on that is listening to that was you know, because because you know, I I had just met you. Yeah. Um. I was in New York for a wedding, and it was my first semester here at USF and University of St. Francis. And so I'm learning about my colleague, and here's my colleague helping me understand what it means to be Catholic. It was a really cool uh, moment for me yeah. because I felt like you were explaining my heritage to me, even though I am a convert to Catholicism. Yes, I have family ties to it, but like it's really in my adult life that I I mean I didn't even become a Christian till I was 20 years old. So becoming Catholic when I was 27 or whatever, this was a moment for me where I, I started to better understand. And it was, I do remember too, it was when I learned there was an understanding among some Catholics, not all, that there are songs for Christmas and there are songs for, for Advent, Advent yeah. and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know that. Yeah. I was just listening to all the songs. Yeah. And I still do, actually. I don't, I don't actually yeah. abide by that rule at all. And Jingle Bells but, is a Thanksgiving song, actually. Historically, it was a Thanksgiving song. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's a Christmas. But song. like, and, you know, maybe not joy to the world, mm-hmm. but like, you know, God rest you, je- merry gentlemen. Yeah. I was seeing that whole season. Yeah. Yeah. There, so Three through Kings. Oh, all season. <laughs> all season long. I'm not waiting for Epiphany. Yeah. So there's something in the in the Santa Claus analogy, right? And I don't even like to distinguish St. Nicholas. The title from, of your yeah. memoir, right? From Santa the Claus. Santa, the well, Santa Claus analogy. Right? <laughs> so Valentine's Day was February 14. But now the new calendar is Cyril and Methodius' yep. day. And so we still have Happy Valentine's Day. It's this holdover from Catholicism's effect on American culture. Right. But the church herself says, no, the new calendar, it's not Valentine's Day anymore. It's not, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Valentinus was maybe a historical person, maybe not. Yeah. 
Cyril Methodius are amazing saints that we should definitely. <laughs> no, I agree. I would totally send someone a happy Cyril and Saint Cyril and Methodius. I got day. rhymes about it. I, we named two of our. our, our Dude, uh, you're gonna spit right now. Our, our cockatiels. Uh, yeah, Cyril and Methodius. My homilodius. <laughs> our, our <two. laughs> well, bust it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the same thing you could say happened. So I don't like to distinguish between Saint Nicholas and Santa Claus because of course. Santa Claus means Saint Nicholas, right? right? Santa Claus has been But we do need so, to distinguish between the weird modern mythological figure right. and the saint. Right. I would argue there's a little bit of intentionality behind this, especially when you get into the world of marketing, has removed this figure from his historical origin. Absolutely. And his origin within the context of history to serve a different purpose, right? I think that's I what think, you're saying. And not just a money-making purpose, yeah. like people say, yeah. to serve a secularization yes. purpose yes. of yeah. demythologizing the Christianity that was the myth. Yeah. And I mean myth here in the yeah. actual yeah. technical sense of a world-making, world-explaining narrative, yeah. and then replacing it with this very brittle mythology mm-hmm. that's supposed mm-hmm. to take the place of mythology so that people can actually be secular religiously right. without actually having ties to any particular right, religion. Right. Yeah. And so it's one of the things we've chosen to— Your family, you mean? Our family okay. has chosen to have Santa Claus on Christmas as well as St. Nicholas Day. We do both. And we had to sort through a few things because my wife was exposed to focus on the family. And my suspicion with focus on—and it could come from the bunker mentality that I mm-hmm. was partially raised in was— James Dobson had the critique of Santa Claus that it was about lying to your children. Okay. So I accept that critique. We decided if our daughter asks, we're not going to lie. Yeah, right? sure. But I immediately saw the focus on the family critique as anti-Catholicism. Really? Yes. Because, yeah. because that's the Protestant that critique of it felt like an attack on Catholic yeah. tradition. This has happened way back in our first season. You yeah. said, we're going to have it out. Yeah. We're yeah, going yeah, yeah. to fight. <laughs> first season of 10,000 yeah. places. You're listening to 10,000 <laughs> yeah. places. Yeah. So as a revert, I was raised by a single mother mm-hmm. and television was my real formator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I lived a life where Christmas starts after Thanksgiving and you have to save Christmas from the Grinch from Jack Frost. Mm-hmm. So all these mm-hmm. shows are mm-hmm. these cartoons about saving Christmas. Like, what does this mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But that was the picture that I grew up in. And it wasn't until I was an adult when I had come back to the faith after a period of atheism and other wanderings that I started realizing what it looked like to live the life of the church in her traditions and not these, these other weird things. <laughs> I never really cared for the Rudolph thing anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, here's the situation. Dude's magic can make it around the entire world in a single night, but a storm is going <laughs> right, to right, throw right, off right, his right, hands. Right, 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 Yeah. Better yeah. Just uh, need the dude yeah, with the red, right. the, the freak ren- reindeer. With yeah, the, yeah. Right? So the suspension yeah, so. of, well, in any, in any case. So I have, right, and so for me, some of this is, is healing and trying to figure out what, what had gone wrong in my past. And I had the, the common experience that I think many people have of great desolation. On December 25th. Right. There's this I, huge yeah. buildup yep. with the cartoons and the toys and the, and the parties before yep. the toys of Christmas Day. And I get there, and back in the day, everything shut down. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe you can go to the movies. Right. But it was just, and everyone's getting ready for New Year's right now. And yeah. so the stores are ramping up and everything's gone. Right. And I just had this great desolation. And I started realizing, being reformed as an adult, how all these different factors were happening. And so, yeah, you do have certain iconoclastic uh, traditions like the Puritans that were hugely formative in early America that they had no lectionary, no right, liturgical right, calendar. So right. there's no Christmas, there's no Easter. Yep. 
Right. Yeah, you don't There's celebrate the, the popish holiday that is yeah. Christmas. But there were free churches and the Lutheran, uh, other older mainline denominations that did have these other celebrations throughout the year, like St. Nicholas's Day mm-hmm. on December 6th mm-hmm. and, and other things, St. Lucy's Day for the Swedes. And you have these things that aren't Catholic anymore because those countries went Protestant back in the day right. for historical reasons. Yeah. And they bring these over. And then you have this thing where we're all agreed Catholics are out, right? right? <laughs> so we don't really do that stuff. But if we're going to bring some of the old world stuff here, we got to make sure it's our old world yeah. stuff. And so that's the thing you, yeah. this is, yeah. this is the talk yeah. you yeah. gave. That's yeah. right. And so why is it that this December 6th thing becomes a December 25th thing? And like you said, there's, there's many factors, but all of a sudden Jesus is gone. Mm-hmm. And St. Nicholas becomes this weird faux God, the father figure who sees us when we're sleeping and judges us and rewards right. us based on what we do. Yep. And so when I was seeing all these things, I thought, all right, we're going to keep them separated, right? We're going to have St. Nicholas, a true devotion to him. We're not going to lie about the Santa Claus thing. And we wouldn't rain on anyone else's parade. The, the right. way that we right. put it in the past is we like Transformers. We like SpongeBob. There's all kinds of fun stories we like. They're not real, but we like them because they're fun. And so other families like the Santa Claus story. And uh, we're not going to tell them they're wrong to like that story because some people like SpongeBob. But we're not going to lie and say he's real. Like SpongeBob right. is real. Mm-hmm. Santa right. Claus. We're not mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 One of the things that I had this experience when I realized Santa Claus wasn't real. So one of the things as a kid, I, I realized here's the value to me of using St. Nicholas. And I think this is embedded in a rich world. Not like Token helped me with this. I don't know if you've ever read his Father Christmas letters. So he writes these Father Christmas letters to his sons, and he's actually not drawing on the real mythology of Nicholas, but he actually creates a a different mythology that is is quite wholesome. But one of the things I learned is that as a parent, I hide behind Nicholas in a sense, or maybe I'm subsumed into him. You mean as the gift giver? As the gift giver. Interesting. And it's good for my child to receive gifts anonymously. Mm. And I, I realized that in my own experience growing up, it was good for me to receive a gift anonymously from the giver that is beyond my visible experience. There's, that's really interesting. And I, I didn't think – I've never even thought about that before. But, like, I mean, some of my most vivid memories from being a child is not only the Christmas morning thing, but the belief that this waiting altruistic mm-hmm. person – has made a judgment about me and given me something that brings me joy. Yeah. And I guess I would couple that with my own experience. I mean, I still remember the moment where, and we were living in Dallas, Texas at the time. And I said to my parents, I was seven or eight, is Santa Claus real? And my long, younger sister had to leave the room so that they could tell me no. You have the talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. So then it was like, okay, so what about the tooth fairy? What about, you know, and, and I actually, I mean, I guess I could be embarrassed. It took me that long. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying that telling your kids Mm -hmm. about Santa and keeping that like thing alive is somehow like bad for your children or anything. I'm just talking about my own experience. I did have this moment of like, well, then what's true. Mm -hmm. And then even more, I think deeper than that, because I didn't suddenly have an existential crisis, but what I learned was that. The world is not magical. Mm-hmm. And translating that into a more mature view is the world is not sacramental. The world is not inundated with meaning and that yeah. there are things that are operating beyond us that are close to us. But to me, I think that solidified the tendency of our current milieu 
towards scientism and materialism and this notion that the world is just this solid material reality. There is no transcendent. Maybe I'm like way making too much of my <laughs> no, experience. This, as a this child. is common, but uh, but I, I this isn't I a lie do, about a frivolous thing. This is a lie about a thing that children really love, and right? I that right. was deeply informative to the basic goodness of the world for me. That Santa Claus is this just what does he get out of it? You know, he gets the joy of the children, and this is you know watching Christmas movies with my wife. Now we love Christmas movies, and we watch them, and yet the whole time there's this feeling of like, but isn't it so sad? That this is the best the secular world can give us. We're all trying to save the magic of Christmas. Why? Because you've got to save the magic of yeah. Christmas, right? Yeah. And, you know, this is what's going to make us be nice to each other. And I felt the crushing blow of having a tin mythology mm-hmm. taken away from me mm-hmm. so that when the deep mythology came, I had trouble recognizing it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I had the – there was always a suspicion in my family of the tin mythology. Right. And so – for me, there's actually almost a sense of I couldn't I could never articulate this as a child. This is adult reflection. Sure. Same um, here. Yeah. So I did not feel deceived at all. I yeah. felt there was a joy almost in having the giver of the gift revealed finally. I had a feeling of like I'm mature now. I did a little bit because I immediately told my sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, so this may be the distinction, right? Because uh-huh. you were raised in a well formed Catholic family. And so when you hear these things, you hear the anti-Catholicism in an attack on Christmas, yeah. even the, the weird parts of Christmas. And Alex, you know, you and I, like, TV was huge in our experiences. Absolutely and so, was. Yeah, it was. Magic is gone, which means miracle and mystery are gone. Right. Yeah, sacrament. Right, right. Yeah. The secret mystery of the world. Yeah. This is attacking the heart of what makes life. Well, especially because you say we're— we were raised by television, which, I mean, I totally identify with that statement in so many ways. And if my parents ever hear this podcast, I'm sorry, but I do. I love you, but there's a real, you know, maybe we should edit this out. But television is not just giving cartoons to people. It's, it is totally forming in a worldview. Mm-hmm. I was formed as much by the commercials in between mm-hmm. the shows. And the shows were all pushing me to buy something, mm-hmm. to want the G.I. Joe toys that are in the G.I. Joe show. And I'm not saying that the creators of these things are totally malicious, but like the He-Man story is one of the most interesting stories to me because He-Man was created, the TV show was created as an ad (laughs) for a line of toys that Mattel put out that had no previous story. They, By the way, I I don't watch, but Ted Lasso, the current... Well, very much popular show. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. That was an ad for when NBC started airing the English Premier League, so introducing European football oh to America. And I, when I saw that became a show, my head almost exploded. Well, so, yeah, so like what Mattel did is they uh-huh. said, we need to, man, we're going 10,000 places. <laughs> yeah. you, folks, you're listening to 10,000 places. We're talking about He-Man and Catholic traditions. It's yep. still a good show. My it's, kids love it right now. The He-Man, He-Man show? Oh, yeah. But they have all those like— It's super weird and creepy and exotic. And, oh. And the little, like the four and two-year-old girl is like, He-Man, he They want to watch it all the time. Oh, It is so it, weird. It, and then like Skeletor is like this totally like, Cthulhu-type monster. No, he's like Yosemite. He's like, he's a crazy person. He's funny. <laughs> What are you talking about, fool? <laughs> Check out He-Man. But, 
I think one of the reasons the kids like watching it with me is because when Skeletor talks, he is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> I laugh throughout the entire part the villains are on the screen, and, and the kids love that. But well, and so for me, I had all the I one of my great regrets of childhood. Believe it or not, I should probably have some better ones. But <laughs> one of my great regrets is when I got to a certain age and didn't want toys anymore. I just gave away all my He-Man stuff, oh, and no. I had everything. I had like I probably had. 70 to 85% of the line. Wow. I had Castle Grayskull, Snake Mountain. I had the big cats and everything. And it was so cool. And I got rid of it. And I'm still sad about that. And I've looked into actually buying it. It's the only toy that I ever would actually think about buying as an adult to display. And it's just not worth it (laughs) to me. But this whole, this is how it happened. Mattel said, we need to create a line of toys to sell kids. (laughs) What do we want to sell them? Well, we could make this like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Conan the Barbarian type thing into a thing, but we don't want to call it Conan because then we have to pay rights. So we'll just call him He-Man because he's the you know yeah. thing. And then we're going to produce this line of toys, but how are we going to get kids to want to buy it? You know, and this is how we'll do it. We'll make a TV show, right? Like it's totally backwards the way you think of these things actually happening. Toys came first. Yeah. Right. And so we'll make this TV show and then we'll show commercials for our action figures in between the TV show. And there will be a kid who, quoting whom He-Man, goes up to his dad and says, now I have the power. And I remember that. And they (laughs) did. And you can see that they're playing upon a child's desire to not have this one being control them. But. That they now have control because they have He-Man. Yeah. It's really disgusting. Yeah. But also, I would love to have that set of toys again. (laughs) Well, so that happened. But, I mean, to bring into our show something that I did mention back on that interview you were mentioning when we first met each other. Yeah, this is how this set, that happened. So that's not conspiratorial. But this also is the case. It was not intentional that. The stores became the magisterium of the American population. Yeah, yeah. There is something like an accident of the unfolding of the, yeah. the capitalist history. Yeah. So my kids, they'd get upset because what helped save me find the sacramentality and the beauty and the depth and the holiness of not just the nativity, but it is hard during Advent not to celebrate all the just Francis Xavier, my confirmation, all the saints that are in the calendar throughout Advent it is the time of basically waiting and, and basically penance throughout Advent for me. And I remember the kids, they knew we don't do the celebration stuff until Christmas day and then following mm-hmm. into the Christmas season. And they'd get upset. We'd go to the stores and they'd say, well, all the Christmas lights are up and all this Christmas mm-hmm. stuff is happening. And I have to remind them, see stores have to sell it ahead of time so we can buy it right. in preparation. So don't blame the stores, right? The stores aren't doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Honey. But I remember as a kid, it was TV and consumerism were the things that formed me most. And so I know it's Christmas when I go to this store. And I think unwittingly, we all took this as our new magisterium. I know Christmas starts because, and this is why people get upset. If you go to the store and you see the Christmas displays out at Halloween, people get upset because it's their magisterium. And they're saying, yeah. no, 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 no. This yeah. used to be after Thanksgiving. Yeah. My Pope has changed. Like the yeah. liturgy's yeah. wrong. Yeah. You're wearing the wrong chasuble. It's not purple yet. Yeah. It's still supposed to be green. Yeah. So I get upset because I can't buy the stuff I want when I want it. But more people, I used to be this way, get even deeper upset because it is my faith has changed on me. Mm. The discipline of my faith, the yep. liturgical yep. calendar. So yep. to bring this all back, I think that to, sort of to your initial, I don't know <laughs> yeah. how we're going to edit this can, together. Can I? You got something. I just want to make it? one point like. Alex, what you were describing as 
the way you felt sometimes entering Catholic conversations. And this is not a moral judgment at all. I just felt now. Really? I get it. Yeah. Oh, because we, I was informed by TV culture. culture. Yeah. yeah. No, we get it. Yeah. 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 yeah Actually, we, we mentioned sense. that recently. I said, you know, oh, yeah. We were raised uh-huh. by TV, so Justin doesn't get this stuff because nope. you actually had a good we actually, formation. I don't know about that. <laughs> we've, got a, uh, we've got a conspiracy now that we've got to get you to have to watch Big Trouble in Little China again <laughs> because watching you watch it the first time was yeah, glorious. Yeah. You had yeah. no, you were just <laughs> like, what is this craziness? <laughs> Folks, if you don't know about Big Trouble in Little China, it's a great movie. Check it out, but you know, watch it before you let your kids watch it. So I think that here's the grasp at Italian <laughs> for this meandering, but I think really interesting conversation is that, you know, one of the key principles of the Catholic worldview, which I intend to expound in my book, a different sort of cosmos if I ever finally actually get around to writing <laughs> it because I have so many responsibilities, but is the deep symbolic nature of reality, which is a way of speaking of sacrament, right? That these things are not just neutral things and that the postmodernists might say, well, then, then we need to deconstruct them because they're power plays and stuff like that. But you're right. Like you can't just say, oh, it's the power capitalist narrative that's driving all this. These are all people who are just acting in a world where symbols mean things. They're the things themselves, but they're also something more than themselves. Right. And there's a hidden reality that operates behind them. And for the Catholic, this is obvious, but for the rest of the world, and so it's almost like children playing with loaded guns here because this kind of formation that happens in social media, that happens in TV, that happens in the stores, is actually forming people into a way of seeing the world. Hmm. And these are not necessarily malicious, but they are symbols that mean things. And the traditions that we choose to hold, I think have to flow from the sacramental worldview. Yeah. And they can't just be symbols of the bunker. No. And and they're like, to be fair to my upbringing, there's elements of the bunker mentality in my formation as well, which is not healthy, which I've had to like sort out and separate through. I don't blame my parents for it because in some ways, I think when you're under attack and your culture is being assimilated and torn apart, you're just sometimes grasping for things yeah, to hold the, on what to. What things to make de- me me? To define you and what it means to be Catholic and so forth. So, yeah, so I want to be careful there. But you're right. You have to grasp for what is authentically sacramental. Mm-hmm. Just a quick thing about the marketing world. I feel like sometimes I'm constantly being gaslit by the marketing culture because they're saying to me, all that matters is the material things that we want you to buy or experience. Mm -hmm. But we're going to use signs and symbols, which we know, we the marketers know, convey meaning to you Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. But you silly Catholics thinking that, (laughs) right? I mean, they're not actually saying this, but you silly Catholics who actually see the sign and its reflection of communicating meaning, you're a problem to us. Mm. Yeah. Because... Well, we're you con- reveal we're actual, like the world isn't purely materialist. Well, right. We're an actual rival. Right. You can't assimilate us because we're saying, yeah, no, you're right about the symbols. You're just wrong about what they mean. Right. That's why we lean into the sacramental parts of our tradition. Right. Because then we're, re- if you want to stick it to the man, <laughs> yeah, like to pick at the things that are just the bunker, you know, just the defensive things that have no connection to reclaiming the world as Christ has won it for us. Yeah. That's, I think maybe I one way of re-saying really yeah. what you said, yeah. have I caught you? If it's, I buy things because I want them or I need them, not because I think they're going to give me meaning. Right. Right. But the, I think, but the advertisers 
They know they're communicating. Oh, yeah. Have you ever yeah, seen yeah. a car commercial that's actually about the car? Right. Right? It's Nothing, always like, right. it's like. <laughs> Camping this, in, the, in the. Right. Yeah. So there's a truck that comes through and some Sam Elliott-esque <laughs> voice says like determination. Right. right. Hard work. Right. Chevrolet. Yeah. You know, or like, or it's a, a Jeep winding through the, 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 the forest and it's like freedom. Right. Identity. Right. Jeep. <laughs> you're not selling these people cars. You're selling them identities. Yep. You're selling them a using, notion of- Using right. signs and symbols. Right. Yep. And so this is how humans operate. And so we're here to give the message. <laughs> this is 10,000 places. We are coming at you from the underground basement of the rectory. And, of an unnamed parish. Yeah. And we are giving the message out. So yeah, we're not selling anything. No. no. We're giving it away. We're giving it away. <laughs> so, listeners, hopefully you have a title and theme for this episode, because I feel like we've been <laughs> a lot of different places. 10,000, maybe. But this is 10,000 Places. We're very grateful for your listeners. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also email us at the 10,000 Places yeah, email Podcast. Sh- email show ideas, 10,000 Places Podcast, all spelled out at gmail.com. All right. So I am Alex Giltner. I'm Justin Aquila. I'm Lewis Pearson. <laughs> and this has been 10,000 Places. God bless. See you next time. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.